This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Holiday travels are clearly upon us. Um, I'm glad you are here. Thank you so much. Um, I say this frequently, um, but but I think this is a great time to point out because I'm sure you can feel it. Like your presence matters. Um, your, your presence is encouraging to, uh, to others. It builds others up. Uh, we have an active role in, in playing, not just coming to receive, but coming to contribute. Uh, and so thank you for being here. Um, I encourage you, uh, if you have the option uh, of being present here to worship, um, to, to make it happen. Uh, because it, it does. It matters uh, to the, the encouragement and building up of the overall body. So uh, thank you so much for, for being here. Thanks for everybody that came Thursday uh, to our second, third annual Friendsgiving dinner, maybe, something like that. I don't know. Uh, there was a leftover Stanley Cup. Those are like $800. Um, it's, it's on the kids' table. Found the owner. Great. Uh, there was also a uh, leftover, um, what are those things called? Uh, you put a pie in it. Um, pie dish, maybe? It's plastic, though. It's not like glass or something. So if you're looking for that... Um, but anyways, it had a great time. I think there was, we had to add tables and chairs. Somewhere over 70 people came um, to the Friendsgiving. Uh, and yet, here's what I love about this. Here's what I love about this. The first time we ever did a potluck, Stephanie and I were like, oh man, we've got you know, college students and like 23-year-olds. We're not going to have food. Like they, we don't know what to do here. And we have never run out of food on a, on a potluck. We've always had plenty of food and like good food. Um, so love y'all being a part of that. Uh, and just getting to meet some new faces, getting to meet some roommates, um, and just get to know some people. So uh, thanks so much for, for being a part of that. Um, let's pray as we get started. Actually, I'm going to read first, and then we will uh, we'll pray. We're in Philippians chapter 2. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to it. Uh, if you have a, a technical, or what's it called, digital device, uh, you can also scroll to that, Philippians chapter 2. Uh, so we're going to be, uh, Philippians is... One of Paul's epistles, one of the letters he wrote to the churches um, in the region. Um, and so I heard, I heard another pastor give a different uh, acronym. Uh, mine is Go Eat Popcorn. His is Go Eat Pork Chops. Um, but it's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Um, so however that helps you remember, I always remember it as Go Eat Popcorn. Um, but, but we are in Philippians. And so uh, if you would, uh, would you stand with me as we read the verses today? Philippians chapter 2 Verses 3 through 11. And before we start reading, would you just in your own mind and heart ask God to speak to you through his word? Um, just, just in your own words, ask him, Father, would you speak to us? Let me know and hear your voice. God, uh, your word is living and active. Jesus, because you rose from the dead and you are alive today, uh, that makes your words alive today and relevant today. And so speak to us. Let us hear your voice um, and your voice alone. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." 
Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. God, these are your words. Help us to know what you are saying to us. In Jesus we pray. Amen. I want to have a seat. What, um, what are some of your life's ambitions? Like, you don't have to yell it out loud um, or anything, although I do, I do like participation. Um, but, but it's probably just good for you to think through it yourself. Like, what, what are your goals in life? What are some of your own personal life's ambitions? The, the word ambition, I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with, um, but it is defined as an inner drive and desire to improve or achieve something in or with your life. The inner drive or desire to improve or achieve something in or with your life. It's the, it's the drive, it's the ambition for tomorrow to be better than today. In some way, some form, some fashion, right, that, that's ambition. And we all have ambition because we all hope tomorrow will be better than today. Right? We all hope that, that a year from now we'll look back on 20. I guess really mostly 2024 at that point, right? And say, man, 24 was better than 23, right? That's our, that's our hope. That's our desire. And my guess is we all have ambitions of how we think that this time next year will result in a better year. We all have desires for improvement. That's, that's a normal and natural thing. Every single person, every one of us, every context across the globe hopes and desires for, for things to improve, right? for, for something to, to be better. So, so what are those ambitions that you have in your life? Some common ones uh, could be career. Right? We, we've got students right now that have ambitions to, to change the world via some, some career and vocation. It could be to have a new job or start a new job or to get a promotion. Right? To, you've, got a, you've got a mark that you want to get to. Right? So you've got vocational ambitions. Uh, for many, your highest ambition may be family, right? You hope to meet someone that, that you will do life with and, and that perhaps you may have kids with and, and build this, this family, and that's, that's your dream, that's your goal, that's your ambition. Financial status, right? For there to be a, a, a level, um, whatever that mark is that, that you hit financially, and like you're, you're working for that and you're here right now, but you hope to get here, Maybe travel the world, right? You've got some bucket list items. Oh, there goes my prayer card. It's all right. You've got some bucket list items. You're like, I want to see Mount Vesuvia, or um, I want to see the Amazon, or I want to go see a, a, a tiger or a lion. Like, I don't know. Maybe you've got these travel ambitions that, that you want. Pleasure, different, different pleasure experiences, right? I want to see Taylor Swift live in concert, Right? Like maybe that's your, your, like you've just got these, this is what's going to make life better. I don't know. We all have different ambitions, right? What are your ambitions? Just think about it for a second, right? If you're writing it down and you're taking and that's your, your prompt, what do you hope for? What's going to make your life worthwhile? What's going to make next year matter? What are you going to get to at the end of life and look back and go, Okay, because of this, 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 my life, it mattered. It was significant. 
I think it's probable that you've got tiers of ambitions, right? You've got sub-ambitions to sub-ambitions to sub-ambitions, right? Like you may want to reach a financial status. That's an ambition, but ultimately it's so that you can provide for a family or so that you can give to charity, right? Like, so there's, there's even sub-ambitions within your ambitions, right? But we're ambitious people. It's how we are created. It's normal. The question that we have to ask, the question that Paul is asking us here, that is encouraging us here, is what are your ambitions? And then the second question, perhaps an even more important question, is why? Why is that your ambition? What are your ambitions? I hope that you've been thinking about it. I hope you've been pondering it. What are they? It's normal. Why are those your ambitions? Why why that goal for your life? Why is that going to mark a successful life for you? Not long ago, I read a book by Eric Metaxas called Seven Men and the Secret of Their Greatness. He's also got another one out called Seven Women and the Secret of Their Greatness. I cannot encourage these books enough. They're they're short um, biographical summaries of a person's life, uh, just super encouraging and motivating. Uh, and one of the, uh, the men that, that Eric wrote about was William Wilberforce. Uh, you've, you've very possibly heard his name. Uh, he was a member of the English Parliament for 45 years. He, he got uh, voted in at the age of 21. I cannot imagine being in politics at 21. But uh, he wrote in his journal that in the early years, his lone ambition was to be a man of distinction. He wanted to be in parliament because he wanted to make a distinct and unique name for himself. That was why he had the ambition for parliament, but there was the ultimate ambition within parliament. He said, I want to make a name for myself, and parliament was his his avenue for that. A couple years later, um, after being in parliament, with the the testimony of his advisor, Isaac uh, Milner, and then more importantly, the Holy Spirit just continuing to press into him, uh, Wilberforce came to believe and see that Jesus was the only true way to life. That only by faith in Jesus would he have eternal life and would this life in this world have ultimate meaning. And so he trusted and surrendered his life to Jesus, which then began to shift his ambitions. Initially, he thought that he should leave parliament. He thought it was corrupt and that he was, you know, his own, you know, selfish ambition was too, was, was wrong and he should leave parliament. But, but God began to impress onto him that he should have the same ambition of parliament, but why should change? Why he was in parliament should change. Ultimately, that his vocation should be used to honor Christ. A couple years after that, he had some people approach him about the African slave trade. He'd never thought much of it, out of sight, out of mind, what's happening over there, no big deal. But once they presented the facts to him, once he was shown the, the cruelty and the wickedness and the rampant death that was happening through the African slave trade, he, he couldn't look away. And he wrote in his journal, so enormous, so dreadful, so irremediable, did the trade's wickedness appear that my own mind was completely made up for abolition. Let the consequences be what they would. I, from this time, determined that I would never rest until I had effected its abolition. William Wilberforce might be, several people were involved in the abolition of the slave trade. He might be the biggest name of seeing the slave trade in England abolished. 
That became his new reason for being in parliament. That became his new ambition. He wanted to be in parliament, but ultimately so that he could help abolish the slave trade, do good to all people. But he also wrote that even that, the abolition of the slave trade pointed to a greater ambition. And that would be that when he sat before the judgment seat of Christ, he would be able to say that everything he did honored him. He looked at the abolition of slave trade even as a means to that end of honoring Christ with every moment, with every breath that he lived. So my hope today that the Spirit will convict and compel us not to be good religious church folk, not to stop doing some bad things and start doing some good things, not to feel good about ourselves and that we're moral people, but that the Spirit will convict us to live lives totally in trust and surrender to Jesus Christ. That every ambition we have would ultimately point to that one single ambition to live a life that honors Christ, to live in a manner worthy of the gospel, whether I eat or whether I drink, whether I, in word or in deed, whether in life or in death, that every moment, every ambition in our lives would ultimately flow and point to that single ambition of honoring Christ in all things. And then, when the Spirit has convicted us to live that way, we would do whatever it takes to learn how to live lives that do nothing from selfish ambition, but rather do everything with an, an other ambition. That we would learn to see others as more significant than ourselves and to actively look to the interests of others rather than to just ourselves. That's my hope that, that God will, will do in our lives through the power of his word. If we were to sum up the beginning of Philippians that we've gone through so far, um, I, would, I would say that Paul is exhorting his readers, his listeners, um, us, right, as Christians just standing on their shoulders, exhorting us to live lives worthy of the gospel of Christ, right? That's exactly what he said when Stephen preached last week, chapter 1, verse 27, Right, when Paul shifts from talking about his life being lived to honor Christ, he then looks to his friends and he says, now only let your life be lived in a manner worthy of the gospel. Let your life reflect beautifully the love of Jesus and, and nothing else. That's the only purpose that your life has is to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. This was Paul's ambition in life. This was his hope for the church in Philippi. This is what William Wilberforce's ambition became. The question that we're asking is, is this our ambition? Ultimately, and, and, and only you can answer for yourself. Only you are going to sit before the Lord and, and, and be judged in the end for our lives. Is that our ambition? That our life would fully be lived in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That, that this exact moment right now, if, if Jesus says, hey, tell me about that morning of worship on November 19th-ish, yes, got it, okay, tell, what was going on there? Was that for you or was that for me? Were, were you present to, to build others up to love me or were you present to gain and, and, and consume? Right? We want to let every single moment 
be in a way, whether in, in word or in action, whether in thought, everything to be done in a manner worthy of Christ, to honor Jesus, whether in life or in death. So if that is our ambition, and, and let's be honest, sometimes, man, that is our ambition. Other times, it's not so much, right? Like, we're not going to nail it perfectly. But at the end of the day, if we dug deep, we said, what do I ultimately want my life to be about? Like, well, even when it's, it's, I look back, I'm like, gosh, that was a terrible week. I was so selfish. But at the end of the day, I know what I ultimately want is to honor Christ in my whole life. There's one key word that is the, the game changer for that. It is absolutely pivotal to living lives that honor Christ. I'm sure you know where we're going. Humility. That is what Paul says here in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. That if we want to live lives that honor Christ, if you and I want to take Philippians 1, 27 and only live our lives in a manner, in a way that is worthy of the gospel of Christ, if that's truly what we want, then the next thing we must do is say, okay, then I must learn, verse 3, to do nothing from selfish ambition. To, it's crazy. The Greek word for nothing translates exactly how the English has it. Nothing. Like none. Not one thing. Not, not, not just on Sundays, I did nothing from selfish ambition. But, but on Mondays, when we're at work and we're trying to climb the ladder that we're filtering that through and going, is my motivation to climb the ladder selfish? Am I trying to exalt my own glory? Right, that when we get home from work and we're tired and our spouse is tired and all we really want is for our spouse to take care of us, we're filtering it through and we're going, okay, is my motivation here selfish? Because Paul tells me to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But conversely, in humility, to do everything in other ambition, in a desire to see the increase of other, not self. Humility is the key, most, most foundational virtue that will enable us to live lives to the honor of Christ. Because our number one enemy to that end is what? Is self. The number one enemy to living lives of honoring Christ is, is me. Me living life to honor me. To, to my end and to my gain. Paul says if we want to live lives that honor Christ, we must do, do so in humility. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Humility, it starts on the inside. Right? He, he tells us here, right, in, in verse 3, that it starts with an, an inner considering, an inner belief that, that others are more significant than myself, that, that the interests of others should go before myself, that when I'm doing something, I should think through how does this affect others before I think through how does this affect myself. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Right? Humility is not like, oh, woe is me, like, oh, I'm terrible, like, oh, I could never play the cajon, right? Like, I'm terrible, right? No, like, we get up and we learn, right? Like, I could never step up there and do that, like, oh, it's not about me, right? No, all we're doing is talking about me at that point, right? 
Humility is not thinking less of yourself. You've been made in the image of God. You have value and dignity and worth more than we'll ever fully understand because the creator of the entire universe has spoke you into existence, has created you intricately in your mother's womb, and has said that you have value and dignity and worth. Right? C.S. Lewis said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Right? It's not looking down on yourself, it's just choosing not to think of myself as much and thinking of others more. It's not saying, oh, I don't have significance. It's just choosing to give other significance more value than you give to your own significance. It's an internal belief that looks at every single person, even the person that, that annoys you or that you think is an idiot or that you think, how in the world do they ever get this job? Or, or right, even the person that you look at and think, well, they've done this to themselves, right? Like that, to look at them and say, that person has more value, more significance than, than I'm going to give to myself. Not that I, I have, because you do, but that I'm going to give to myself. If we're going to have humility, we have to start looking at people the way Jesus does. Right? Who would look at the, the, the drunk and the tax collectors and the, the Pharisees of like, Jesus, how are you hanging out with them? And like, man, these are, the, these are, my, these are my people. This is why I came. Right, the, the lepers that no one would touch, and Jesus is like, hey, come here. Right, the, the hungry and the outcasts that, that everybody else would, would walk on the other side of the road of, and Jesus comes and he says, no, these, this is why I came. I think about Mother Teresa who you know, became a, a nun and then had to fight to, let, to, to be let out of her convent so she could go live in Calcutta among the people. Right, Because she said when she saw someone who was needy or poor or hungry, she saw Jesus. Because that's what Jesus says in Matthew, right? Anytime you feed the hungry, you're feeding me. Anytime you clothe the naked, you're clothing me. Anytime you visit the lonely, you're visiting me. And she looked at those people and she said, they have so much value and dignity and worth because Jesus is in them. Because Jesus has made them. If we're going to live lives of humility, we've got to stop looking at ourselves as, as the, the greatest answer to the world and start looking at others and lifting their value and significance. Really easy with people that we naturally respect or we're drawn to requires humility with people that we don't naturally connect with or, or that we don't see that they've made the right steps. We've got to start with an internal belief to choose to see the value, the significance of another person before we see our own value and significance. But then humility moves to actually outwardly doing good, seeking their preference, seeking their well-being, and not just our own. Humility is willing to be inconvenienced for the good of another, Humility is willing to let their bank account drop so that others could increase. Humility is willing to give up their free time in order to bless somebody in need of a hand and of, of community. Humility is willing to do whatever it takes to prefer another. Whatever it takes. 
It's not just wanting, man, I want this person to thrive, but then it's actually doing what I can do to help that person thrive. Humility is not just wishful thinking for them, but it's then doing what we can do our part to let go of what is ours and to help another person thrive and be preferred. I think about, uh, well, I, I think now about, um, because Tyler informed me, uh, of Keanu Reeves. You didn't see that coming, did you? <laughs> I don't talk about Keanu much. But I learned this today, thanks to Tyler, is that he, when he uh, signed his contract for The Matrix, committed to giving nearly $1 million to every backstage, behind-the-scene person. A boom holder, a costume designer, a set builder. He said that he felt the costume and special effects creators were the true heroes of the movie, not himself. He ended up giving away nearly $75 million of his own paycheck. He, he literally saw his bank account decrease by Jimbo Fisher's buyout, by, by $75 million. Yo, that's not chump change. Like, I don't care if you got a lot of money. $75 million, that's a, that's a good chunk of money. They had jobs. They had contracts. They had pay, right? They, they got what they wanted. They, that was their career. That was their path. That's what they earned. He was the star. He was willing to say, I don't care about that. Let me, let me bless them. Humility doesn't just want the boom holder to do well. Humility says, let me help you do well. Let me help your net worth increase. Let me help you eat food. Let me help you get a job. Let me coach you. Let me spend time with you. Let me put away my preferences, my desires, what makes me feel comfortable, what I want to do with my time, and let me input yours. Humility actively does what is best for another. Selflessly doesn't just want the best, but does what is best for another. And Paul is telling us, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. As I was studying for this, I, I started having some personal questions of confusion and perhaps a little frustration. I, I'm sure you know at this point that I have ambitions of getting a new truck one day. Right? My Honda Pilot is sitting at 227,000 miles, and I am constantly changing out a part. Um, Charlie knows we, we oftentimes lament over this, and it's been good. It's been fine. It's still, it's still cruising. But I'm like, wait a second. Can I get a new truck? Like, am I, am, am I, am I allowed to do anything for myself? I, I want to go to Italy with Stephanie. We want to eat and drink our way through every pastry shop that we can, right? Like, we, we want to go see, you know, and that's going to cost thousands of dollars. Is that okay? I, I want Austin Life Church to be a thriving 300, 350 people. Is that okay for me to want that? I, I want to buy some new clothes that fit a little more appropriately, right? Is that okay for me to buy new clothes or do I need to go buy hand-me-down? Like, I started wrestling with that question of, well, do I get to do anything for myself? Is it okay for me to want and buy a new truck? And as I was wrestling with that, I felt like God's asked me, why? Why do you want that? Right, that's your ambition. 
That's your desire. That's what will improve your life next year if you could have it all. Why, though? Why that? Why do you want to go on a vacation? Why do you want a new truck? Is it ultimately to end on myself? Right? Is it ultimately for my own selfish pleasure? Is it ultimately so that I can have some status and not look like a doofus in my 2006 Honda Pilot that has a dent in it because a tree fell on it, right? And I pull up to the high school parking lot. All the parents pop out of this new car, and I'm like, well, here's my squealing, you know, needs a new power steering pump car, right? Is it ultimately so that I can feel better about myself next to these people? Why? Paul, Paul says he, he understands humanity, right? He says, let each of you look not only to his own interests. He understands that we're, we're going to look to our interests. It's natural to, to feed ourselves, right? It's natural to clothe ourselves. It's natural to have ambitions and desires. Paul is just urging us to, to shift our end goal, that what we, we, we have ambitions for and desires for don't ultimately end on ourselves, but, but can be used for the good of others or can be used for the glory of God. Right? Can I buy a new truck that, A, I, I use for the help of others, right? To, to, to move mulch or a couch, right? Or that I can loan out. Can I buy a new truck for my family to have a safer, more reliable vehicle for my family? Can, can, I, can I buy a new truck? And, and here's the tough part. If God said, hey, I want you to give that away, would I let it go? Or do I get something and go, now it's mine. Nobody touches it. But if the end goal is not me, but for the good of others and the glory of God, and he wants me to give it away, then am I willing to go, okay, so you just started asking me, why do you want that? What, what does that point to? Where does it end? Where does that ambition find its resting point? Is it ultimately on you and your selfish gain? Or, or is, it, is it for others? And now, here's the thing, too. Well, uh, well this quote, Charlie said Wednesday, I, I wrote this down. Charlie, thank you for, for verbally talking um, in our staff meeting. He was like, self-care is not selfish, if I'm caring for myself so that I can be the best version of myself for others. Does that make sense? Right? Like, I want to take care of myself. I, want to, I need to go to the doctor. I need to work on my mental health. I need to exercise. Right? I need to have a gym membership. I need to buy some weights. I need to buy some healthy food. Right? Like, okay, well, that's not wrong if, if our ultimate goal is not so that, man, when, I, when I, people walk by in my new clothes, they're like, hey, check him out. Right? Like, you know, but, but rather so that I can be the healthiest, best version of myself to give to others. Right, so we're just asking that question with our ambitions. Where does this end? If I get this, why? For what goal? And then sometimes I think that, that God as our Father just likes to give us good gifts that, that he just wants us to enjoy and celebrate him as the giver of that gift. Right, that, that the end goal is just for us to maximally enjoy it. And recognize that he gave it to us because that gives him pleasure and gives him glory. For, for instance, and I um, asked Stephen if I could say this. I hope he told Sarah. Um, they went to Hawaii last year, um, and they took Stephen's mom and sister. Right? They, they paid for Stephen's mom and sister to, to go. Now, what does, Stephen, what does Stephen want? Like, What's most going to honor that gift? If, if, if his mom and sister are like, oh, no, 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 like, that's so, like, no, if they enjoy the gift, 
Right, what most honored Stephen in that gift and giving that gift was for them to go and maximally enjoy it and experience the gift that was given to them. Right, but so all that is is just a change of perspective. Okay, God, I have this new truck. Oh my gosh, I can't believe you gave it to me. I get to go to Italy and, and look at your creation and, and eat a, a scone or a croissant and, and, and drink good coffee or wine. And God, you created all that. Like, what a gift, Lord. Versus, let me, let me boost my own Instagram following or, you know, feel good about myself. Right? It's all about, okay, why? What does this end on? What does this ambition have its ultimate end destination? And Paul's saying, hey, don't do anything that ultimately you know is to increase yourself, is to increase your own glory. But, but in humility, consider others, God and others, more significant than yourself. Have an other ambition. I want to see God glorified and praised by, by what I have, by this gift, by this ambition. I want to see others blessed. I want to see people do well. I want to see relationships thrive. And I want to enjoy this as God gave it to me. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. So how does this play out for you? Right, if we're, if we're reading this, which we are, this is where we now go, okay, God tells me to do nothing from selfish ambition. Let me start thinking through my life and my world. And, and where does that apply? Start with yourself. Like start with the immediate circle. Am I living a life? Am I pursuing things that honor God? Or am I pursuing things that ultimately increase my glory and my fame? Am I seeking health so that I can be the best version of myself for others, so that I can live the longest life and give God the glory and, and, and minister, just as Paul even said, for others' joy and salvation? What about my family? What about those under the roof with me? What about my roommates, right? Am I, am I waking up thinking what I can get out of the day from them? Or am I waking up and thinking, how can I bless them? How can I serve them? How can I prefer them? How can I give them what, what they want? How can I help them achieve their ambitions and goals? Right? It's those oftentimes that, that we're closest to that are the hardest. And we expect from them. And God's telling us to die to our ambitions and to prefer their ambitions. You know, how, how do you, how do you, how, you know, husbands, wives, let, let's, get, let's get right into it, right? Let's talk about some libido. Right? Every man has, has a sexual desire and preference. And I would say more often than not, it's not identical to your spouse. Go crazy, right? Like, it doesn't perfectly match up. Do I wake up and think, man, how can I prefer my spouse's sexual preference over mine? How can I learn what my spouse wants and give to my spouse what he or she wants rather than think about them giving to me what I want? chores, right? How, how, can I, how can I wake up and think, how can I lighten their load? Right? How, can I, how can I think about my parents or, or my, my children and lighten their load? Or do I have this, well, you're the child, you should do this, right? Or kids, children, do you have a, you're the parent, you should do this. This is your job to take care of. Right? How can we think through that in our own homes of preferring the other? 
of seeking their ambition. Siblings, co-workers, neighbors, every person you interact with, God is telling us to do nothing from selfish ambition, but in humility, consider them as more significant and then actively seek their interest, not just naturally what we want to do, which is seek our own interest. You know, this will change the world. Right? Let's just say this room sets out in 2024 to be more humble than we were in 2023. I promise you there will be ripple effects of good that come from that. G greater than I think we can even imagine. Paul's assuming that we want to live lives that honor Christ. And so he says, do nothing from selfish ambition. But in humility, do everything from an, an other ambition. To the glory of God and the good of others before myself. Here's the deal, y'all. Pride runs deep. Selfishness runs deep. Like I think about newborns, and I don't want to call newborns selfish, right? Because they're cute and I love them. But, but who are they interested in? Feed me when I want to be fed. Wake up and stay awake when I want to be awake and stay awake. Change my diaper, right? It, it's, it's natural, right? There's this innate, we're born with this natural tendency to think of ourselves, Right, to, to take care of ourselves, to, to, and, and part of it's good, right? Survive, we gotta survive, but we, it is natural for us to think of ourselves. How in the world do we live a life now doing nothing from selfish ambition? How is this going to be possible? Like, I, I struggle to go five minutes without somehow twisting in some selfish motivation, even for a good thing. Right? Like, oh, let me go preach a sermon. Man, I really hope people like it. What, why do I care? Right? What, is that about me or is that about the glory of God? Right? Like, the, the number of times I can even mix in selfishness into a really altruistic and good thing. Anyone else find that? You're like, ew, where did that come from? How do we do this? We need a supernatural displacement of natural selfishness, selfishness and an, an input of a supernatural humility, which, which is what Jesus came to do. The, the purpose of Jesus is to eradicate pride from our lives and to input humility so that we will humble ourselves before God and before others and thus live the abundant life that he came to bring us. Paul tells us in verses five through eight, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul tells us that in Jesus, now this is where it's going to come down, do we believe this or not? In Jesus, we have everything we need to live lives of humility. In Jesus, we have everything we need to live out, verses 3 and 4. In Jesus, we have a perfect model of humility. 
We have a continual motivation of humility, and we have a supernatural means to live in humility. We have a perfect model of humility. In verses 6 and 7, we, we see that, that Jesus, in the form of God, let go of his rightful status of God in order to come and to serve us, to, to give of his wealth so that we could receive what is not ours. Another book recommendation, if you're looking for a book um, to read, it's an easy read. It's a uh, story is called Same Kind of Different as Me. Uh, anyone ever read it? Oh, okay, interesting. Great, great book. Uh, highly encourage it. Um, it's a story of a couple in Fort Worth, true story, a couple in Fort Worth, a very well-to-do couple um, who Christ got a hold of their lives, and they begin to tangibly give of their wealth and time and energy and space to, to welcome in the life of a homeless man and to radically transform his life. Right? It's, just, it's an incredible um, and encouraging and inspiring story. But, but they were just modeling what Jesus had already done for them. Right? Jesus was their, their model of how to live this way. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, it says that you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, he had all the resources, everything was his. He, for our sake, made himself poor so that we who were poor could become rich. Right? He took what was his wealth and gave it all away, thus making himself poor so that he could lift us up and give us what was not ours. Paul tells us that Christ was in the form of God. That's speaking of his essence. Christ was exactly God. Christ was God. Jesus is God. Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That means that Jesus is eternal. He's the creator of all things. Colossians 1 says that all things, including you and me, exist through him and for him. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I think oftentimes we, we see Jesus as this meek. You know, we see his humility and we're like, oh, he's soft and gentle. And he is soft and gentle, but he is also the powerful king of kings. He commands the wind and waves and they obey him. He commands the dead to wake up and they wake up. He commands the blind to see and they see. In John 18, when the mob comes to arrest him and they say, are you Jesus of Nazareth? And he says, I am. And John says that the mob drew back and fell down. He just said, I am, and they fall over. Right? Jesus is the powerful king of kings, and heaven was rightfully his. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places was his. And God the Father told Jesus to come and to live among us. And instead of holding tightly to what was rightfully his and saying, no, this is mine. That's their problem to deal with. They made the mess. They can clean it up themselves. Jesus left heaven and came to live among us. But not just as an equal. He humbled himself beneath us. Right? Okay, it's wild enough that the king would step off his throne to come and live among the people, but then you would kind of expect the king to live as this you know, commanding general out front, telling everybody what to do and how to live and, and barking on orders, but the king steps down not just to live among the people, but beneath the people so that he could wash our feet and serve us. The humility of someone to empty his bank account in order to give his wealth away so that the poor could become wealthy while he becomes poor. 
Imagine that right now today. It would not take much driving to find a homeless person on the streets of Austin. How many of you will go and empty your bank account to give it to that person? Takers? And I'm not suggesting you do that. But that's what Jesus did. That's what 2 Corinthians 8 tells us, the grace of Christ for us, the gift of Jesus was not to speak of, hey, I want better for you, but to actively get in the dirt and work for our better, to do what was necessary for us to be made rich. He let go. This verb, it says he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. That, That translates he let go of what was rightfully his. He let go. He didn't hold tightly. He didn't grasp on to his status. But he humbled himself in order to lift us up. This is our model of what humility looks like. It's wanting the best for people, and then it's actively letting go of what we think is ours, or maybe what is ours, in order to give it to others and to lift them up and to prefer them. It's so hard for me to let go of my right. When I think I'm right, and maybe I am, but am I willing to say, that's all right. I don't, I don't have to have my right. I can let it go in order to give you yours. This is what Jesus did. He's our model. But he's also our motivation. The humility of Jesus, when we really see what he has done for us, that we had no hope on our own to get ourselves out of this mess, but he came and he did everything necessary to set us free. It's impossible to truly see that and not result in humility. The first flag that should tell us we're not seeing Jesus clearly is pride. It's impossible to look at what Jesus did for us to know that, to receive that, and to not turn and be humble likewise. It makes me think of uh, Joshua Kaufman, who uh, couldn't wait to bow low and humble himself uh, before Daniel Gillespie. I have a picture of um, Joshua Kaufman was um, held captive in a Nazi concentration camp. And it was Daniel Gillespie who un- unhooked the, the, cattle, the cattle trailer that he was, chained, or he was in. He opened it and, and let him out. He said, that, he said when he saw him 70 years later, he said, I have waited 70 years to do this. I love you. I love you so much. I came out of hell and into light, and for that I am eternally grateful. You've got a man who's willing to bow low, joyful to bow low, eager to kiss the feet of another person because that person gave him freedom and life. He knew that the 70 years he lived was in direct correlation to someone that set him free. Jesus is our our motivation. When we see that we were chained to sin, that hell was our consequence for our sin, that what we deserved Right, the punishment that we deserved, that it was our problem that we made, that we walked away from God. And when we see that Jesus took on the cross and humbled himself to death so that we didn't have to suffer the punishment for our sin, when we truly see that, we can't help but bow low and kiss his feet. We can't help but say, I've waited my whole life to tell you how thankful I am that you rescued me from hell and brought me into life. 
Can I be honest? One of the curses I think we have in America is we don't know suffering very well. Like we don't know how, how desperate in need we are because we, we by and large have everything we want. And even if we're lacking, we can get it pretty easily. We were so desperately in debt because of our sin to God. There was zero hope, zero help, zero chance of freeing ourselves only by the king of kings humbling himself to come and set us free and to give us life. Right? He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, nailed naked on a tree, the most humbling death possible. Why? Why did he do that? So that our sins could be paid for. So that we could be set free. So that he could bring us from hell to life, from darkness to light. He is our constant motivation. We continually look to him as our model and our motivation. But then not only that, Jesus is our means to humility. Go back to verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, this mind of humility, this posture, this internal belief that, that others go before myself. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. If you have trusted Jesus, not just believed in God, not just have a conversation with God, not just believe in Jesus, but you have looked at the message of the gospel, which says you and I were guilty because of our sin, and only Jesus can set us free. Only his perfect life, his sacrificial death, and the fact that he is alive today, which makes it relevant for 2023, his resurrection, only Jesus can erase our debt against God and make us right again with him. And when you look at that and we go, I, I believe it. I trust it. He is my only answer. When I stand before God one day, whatever that looks like, I'm just saying Jesus because he's my only hope, my only answer. When we trust that and believe that, the Bible says that we are united with Jesus. We are in Christ Jesus. His spirit comes and lives in us. The spirit of Jesus comes and dwells in us, passing on to us the character of Jesus. Right, when we have kids, we, we passed down our genes. Right? You, you have two professional athletes who have a child. Odds are that child is going to have some athletic ability. Right? It, 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 just, it just passes down to them. Now, they can work it. They can, they can grow in it. They can develop it. But, but it's, it's already there, kind of. I mean, you got, man, Charlie and Laura's kids, I, I bet you they're going to have some, some musical ability, right? Now, they can do nothing with it, and it goes, it just doesn't, or they can, they can hone it, they can work it, they can, they can develop it. When we trust Christ, we have the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I think that was it, right? That, that's not something you're like, oh, my gosh, I really need to go gain that peace. No, it's there. Because of the spirit of peace in us. The spirit of humility is, is in us. The humility of Jesus is there. It's, it's looking to him. It's, it's being motivated by him. And then it's walking in that humility and developing that skill. Developing humility. If, if we do you know, five acts of humil humility tomorrow, and then six acts, and then seven acts, and then eight acts, we're going to grow in humility. And it's there for us by Christ in us. Listen, sometimes doing the humble thing, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if this is going to work out for me. 
right? Anyone else? I'm supposed to, you know, give of myself. What about myself? How am I going to take care of myself? What if I'm tired? What if I run out of resources? Do we trust that God will take care of us? That the humility of Jesus is in us to enable us to do all that he's created us to do. It is ours in Christ Jesus. And to conclude, God says that it's Jesus. He's exalted and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God exalts the humble but opposes the proud. God lifts up the humble, but pushes against the proud. Jesus fully humbled himself and God exalted him. For us, it's now trusting that in humility, God will exalt, exalt that humility. That, that the results of our humility, the consequences, what happens because of this, we're gonna trust in God's hands and God has promised that he will bless humility. May not be in this life, but, but there will be an exaltation of humility in the next. I don't know what that looks like, but I do know that when we humble ourselves before Jesus in trust, we have access to him forever. He promises to exalt the humble, but to oppose the proud, and Jesus is highly exalted because of his ultimate humility for us. Do nothing from selfish ambition, but in humility do everything out of an other ambition, the glory of God and the good of others. Looking to Jesus as our model, Jesus as our motivation, and Jesus as our means to actually live lives of humility. Do we trust him? Do we trust that, that he is the truth, that this is the truth, that a life of humility is a life of greatest joy. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.